Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. You know, Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So it takes the truth to be sanctified and the word of God defines for us what the truth is. We're talking about the Bible. It's not what we feel. It's not what our an inner voice in our head says. It's not what we think is best. It's not what's politically correct. It's what the scriptures actually define. That's the truth. The truth that's going to set us free from sin, according to John 8, 32. Um, I've got a website here, and I can send you the link if you want me to, that says that the United Methodist Church, and I quote, church law forbids the marriage or ordination of self-avowed practicing homosexuals. But many conservatives have chosen to leave amid a growing defiance of those bans in many U.S. churches and conferences. So so what we, I think all of us are hearing about the United Methodist Church split, these congregation leaving because the United Methodist Church is going forward, it looks like, with accepting gay marriage. Well, actually, this is saying their bylaws say that it's wrong, but maybe they're not going by their bylaws. And these congregations who are more conservative than the other Methodist churches see they're not going by their bylaws. And so these churches are starting to leave. Here's another quote from that same article on the web. With these departures, progressives are expected to propose changing church law at the next general conference in 2024 to allow for same-sex marriage and the ordination of LGBTQ people. And so uh, the way the God looks at it, the way the Bible looks at it, it is very right to leave the United Methodist Church denomination because they're compromising on gay marriage. That's what somebody should do. If they're not going to oppose gay marriage, you should leave that denomination. Let me give you some passages about homosexuality and gay marriage. Romans 1, 26 and 27 says, For this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which is me. There's no doubt, it's very clear, 26 is condemning what we call lesbianism. 27 is condemning what gay men. They're, they're, they're leaving the natural use of the women. They're burning in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. 26, the women are leaving the natural use. Lesbians and gay men are condemned clearly in Romans 1. The We're not under the Old Testament law anymore, but the Bible condemned homosexuality very clearly under the Old Testament too. Leviticus 20 verse 13 reads this way. If a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination that shall surely be put to death. And so he, we're not talking about two little brothers uh, having to sleep in the same bed because there's not enough beds to go around. We're talking a man, about a man sleeping with another man as he would with a woman, meaning sexually. What's the word this passage uses in the Old Testament to describe that? Abomination. That's usually reserved for the worst kind of sins. And then the penalty was death. They shall surely be put to death. 
you don't put somebody to death for violating the speed limit law. This is talking about serious sin or serious crime in the Old Testament. It is clearly condemning homosexuality. A man's lying with another man as he would with a woman. It's an abomination. They should be put to death. That's what they were supposed to do in the Old Testament to homosexuals. They were to be put to death. Now, if you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. How about what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4 and 5? He says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. You see, Jesus is going back to Genesis 2.24 for the definition for of marriage. And he says, male and female, a man, a male should leave his father and mother and cleave to a female, his wife. So Jesus made it clear that marriage should be between male and female. The old cutesy saying says it well. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And then another New Testament passage. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, neither homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So here we have a whole list of sins. This passage begins by saying these people who are involved in these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't be saved. It ends the same way. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. People involved in these sins, unless they repent and change, will not be saved. I mean, we have people named such as fornicators, people worshiping idols, adulterers, thieves, drunkards, and homosexuals and sodomites. Homosexuals and sodomites. Condemn with all these other sins. If homosexuality is not a sin, then there's nothing that's a sin. It's condemned as clearly as any sin in the Bible. So I just read to you four passages in the Bible and there are a lot more that we don't have time to read that condemn homosexuality. So if you're part of a church that's starting to accept homosexuals and that's the direction they're going, you should leave there. No doubt about it. There's no doubt about that. Anthony from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. So, yeah, my name's Anthony. I just wanted to make a comment. I'm, I'm actually a man that just um, came out of uh, 15 years walking as a homosexual or what I identifying as what I thought was a, a homosexual. And um, you know, Lord, the Lord brought me out of that. He completely and totally delivered it, delivered me out of it. And, you know, it is 100% an abomination. You know, I just, I want, I want to encourage churches to allow the, um, the homosexual to be loved because my church that loved me, they did not love my sin. They made it very clear that they did not condone my, my behavior. They did not condone my lifestyle. I was actually married to a man. Um, they walked with me through the divorce. Um, but they loved me from the from the very beginning. They they told me that they loved me, but they didn't condone the life that I was living. And so it's a real fine line that we walk. And and being somebody that's come out of that, you know, I just want to I just want to encourage. Don't ever stop praying for people that are lost in that sin because it took me 15 years to get out of it. But Anthony, but we have you're making a great point. Yeah, you're making a great point, and I appreciate it. it, it like any other sin, we don't hate. The person, we want them to leave the sin because it's sinful and and our love for them demands that we try to reach them and get them to leave the sin, whatever the sin is. Great point, Anthony. Go ahead. Did I interrupt you? Go ahead. No, no, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I just, 
being someone that has, you know, I was, I'm a minister's son. I was, a, my dad's a Church of Christ preacher and has been for 42 years. And, you know, being someone, I, I was, I was so lost. And in, in, when I was uh, 30 years old, I was, um, I went through some trauma therapy and uncovered some childhood abuse that had happened that I was completely unaware of. And so I walked in the church. I was walking in the church and having this, this trauma that I had completely and totally pushed out of my mind, I, unbeknownst to myself. And it wasn't until I was 30 years old and went through some trauma therapy that God found it as being time to reveal that. And when he revealed that, then all of a sudden things inside of myself began to change. My mannerisms began to change. The things I like to do began to change because I had gotten so lost in that world and identified with that in such a big way because of the fact that the church, you know, there was no, there wasn't any willingness to talk about somebody who was dealing with same-sex attraction. I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know where it was coming from. I knew what the scripture was, but I didn't know where it was coming from. I couldn't identify it. And here, here I am 30 years old. Now, ju- I was just now, that's been five years ago, at 30 years old, I just now figured out where the source was. And so now I'm having to have was grace it, and mercy for myself and walk through was the this. source from the abuse, you mean? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, okay. the abusers told me that what they were doing was love and that love was kept in secret. And that if you love someone, you kept it secret. And so I identified love as happening in secret behind closed doors between two men. It was an, it was a couple of adult men. Man, okay. Anthony, appreciate you calling in and, let, and telling us about that. That helps us a lot. Appreciate that, Anthony. Absolutely. You have a good evening. You too. God bless you. That, that That's a, such a revealing call by Anthony because w- w- the st- statistics say a very large percentage of homosexuals, like gay men, were abused as little boys. And so this is not something that they can't help. It's something that their environment calls to happen, and they, they can turn around. Anthony's proof of that. He's turned it around. He's not a homosexual anymore. Any homosexual can do the same thing. It may be harder. It may not be. It may be easier said than done, but it still can be done, and the Bible demands that it be done. And Anthony's right. We who are Christians need to love these people and show that we love them and encourage them to leave the sin, just like a drunkard, encourage them to leave, the, leave their sin, or a fornicator, or a idolater, or adulterer, or anybody. We got, in love, encourage them to leave their sin. If you're part of a congregation, though, that's just accepting homosexuals, like we're seeing in the United Methodist Church with this division that's going on in public view for everybody to see, you should leave that church because you don't want to be part of a church that is compromising on homosexuality. But I want you to notice, we're talking about the United Methodist Church compromising in the last several years on gay marriage and then congregations leaving the United Methodist Church denomination because of that. But did you know that the United Methodist Church denomination had compromised on adulterous marriages many decades previous to that? Let me document that for you. Here I've got some quotes from the United Methodist uh, church creed book. Now, I've got a lot of quotes here, but I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to cut to the chase. If you want the rest of them, I can send them to you. Here's what the United Methodist Church creed book said in 1896. It says, no divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful, and no minister shall solemnize, meaning perform this ceremony, pronounce man and wife, husband and wife, no minister shall solemnize marriage in any case where there is a divorced wife or husband living, but this rule should not be applied to the innocent party to divorce 
with the cause of adultery. Now, that sounds exactly like what Jesus said in Matthew 19.9. Here's Matthew 19.9. Jesus said, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoever marries her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Well, that's what, in 1896, that's exactly what the United Methodist Church was standing for. What they're saying here in their creed book in 1896, it's in different words, but it's saying the exact same thing as what Jesus said in Matthew 19.9. No divorce, unless it's for adultery, shall, should, will be regarded as lawful. And ministers should not perform the wedding ceremony for people who are divorced. That's clear. Drop down to 1984, though, 88 years later. Same Methodist creed book where marriage partners, even after thoughtful consideration and counsel, are estranged beyond reconciliation. We recognize divorce as regrettable, but recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. We encourage an accepting commitment of the church to minister to the members of divorced family. Notice in 1896, it was unlawful, these kind of divorces, and the remarriage was unlawful. Now it's just regrettable. In 1896, they would not allow the marriage of divorced people. Now they recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. Now that that compromise was much more gradual than you're seeing here because I'm not reading all the quotes. But but from 1896 to 1984, it's a drastic change. In 1896, they're standing squarely for what Jesus said. If you divorce, unless that divorce is for adultery, fornication on the part of your spouse, and if you divorce them for any other reason and remarry, it's adultery. It's is against God's law. That's what they were saying in 1896, the United Methodist Church. In 1984, though, they completely compromised. Well, if it's wrong to accept gay marriages, and we need to leave the Methodist Church because they're accepting gay marriages, why shouldn't we also need to leave the Methodist Church because they're accepting or have accepted adulterous marriages years before? Compromise on adulterous marriage is just as bad as compromise on gay marriages. And compromise on adulterous marriages, by the way, eventually leads to, eventually leads to compromise on gay marriage. Here's a preacher, Ken Wilson, who was writing, he was the preacher for a congregation, uh, I think a non-denominational church that used to oppose gay marriage and they changed and accepted gay marriage. And here's his justification for it. Before I read that, if you have a Bible question or comment, Give us a call at 877-655-6755. Here's how Mr. Wilson justified the church where he was, their change from uh, not accepting gay marriage to accepting gay marriage. He says, I have proposed a path for these pastors that allows them to embrace people who are gay, lesbian, and transgender and accept them fully, welcome and wanted into the company of Jesus. I wrote a letter to my congregation when I realized my views had changed and I needed to communicate the intense theological, biblical, pastoral, and spiritual process that I'd been through to get to this new place. It began with a burr beneath the saddle of my conscience. Why was I willing to let so many divorced and remarried couples know that they are welcome and wanted while refusing that same welcome to gay and lesbian couples? How could I say to the remarried couples, he's talking about, talking about heterosexual remarried couples, how could I say to the remarried couples whose second marriage was clearly condemned by the plain meaning of Scripture, you are welcome and wanted, while saying to the two lesbian mothers raising their adopted child together, I love you, but I hate your sin. What's Mr. Wilson's justification for accepting gay marriage? He says, well, we've been accepting these second or third marriages. He says that violate plain the plain meaning of scripture 
He says their second marriage was clearly condemned by the plain meaning of Scripture. He's probably talking about Matthew 19.9. We've been accepting those probably for decades. So why can't we accept gay marriage on the same basis? It's like two wrongs make a right. We've been violating the word of God when it comes to adulterous marriages, Matthew 19, 9 and so forth. Well, if we can do that, why can't we accept these gay marriages, even though the Bible condemns them? I, what I'm saying is when you compromise on adulterous marriage, it's eventually going to lead to compromise on gay marriage. And that's exactly what happened in the United Methodist Church. They've been compromising on adulterous marriages. They've been allowing marriages in violation of Matthew 19, 9 for decades. And now it's coming around and now they're a lot of the more liberal people in that church are being consistent and saying, well, if we can accept these adulterous marriages, why not gay marriage? Sure enough, 2015 says the United Methodist Church leadership voted to submit a legislative proposal that removes prohibitive language from the United Methodist Book of Discipline concerning homosexuality. The proposal would allow United Methodist pastors to perform same-sex marriages in United Methodist churches. This proposal does not consider homosexuality incompatible with Christians' teachings, even though Methodists have historically recognized the practice as sinful. Jill from Louisiana, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my first question was in regards to um, speaking in tongues. Um, I've heard it said several times that... Um, that you don't really, a person is not really um, filled with the Holy Spirit if they don't speak in tongues. But I grew up in the Baptist church, and that's not something that we, um, you know, practice or even really learn anything about. I, I do ag agree with speaking in tongues, by the way, um, but I don't know anything about it. Um, and I was just wondering if um, what your thoughts were on that. So 1 Corinthians 13, Jill, says uh -huh. that prophecy will fail and tongues shall cease. So it's a prophecy or it's a prediction by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 that future to his time, tongues would cease. And he says it's going to happen when that which is perfect is come. And if you look at the context, Jill is talking about the complete revelation from God. What Paul is saying is now during Paul's day, they had things like prophecy and tongues so that people would know the New Testament law. In that day, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. But he says, but he's saying, look, when that New Testament, the complete revelation has come, the perfect or complete mm -hmm. revelation, Matthew through the book of Revelation, all 27 books are written out and so that anybody can have them in their own Bible. Then the need for prophecy and tongues would be, it wouldn't be needed anymore and the tongues would cease. So there are oh, nobody's, wow. there's nobody speaking in tongues today. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 13. Jill, I can send you an article on that that goes into that more de in detail yeah. more, uh, if you yeah. would like me to. Yes, sir. Here's what that I'm going to do. Great. I'm going to try to call you after the program is over to get your email address so I can okay. send you that article, okay? Okay. Um, can, I, can I ask one more question if you have a minute? Yes. Yes. Um, Go in ahead, the Bible where it, says that, uh, where it says we're supposed to leave an inheritance for our children, is that um, speaking of a monetary inheritance or an inheritance like of knowledge? Okay, I think if what you're referring to, and I can't recall the exact verse off the top of my head, but I think it's in the book of Proverbs. It says it's a good thing to leave your inheritance for your kids, and it's talking about financial or monetary. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you, but of no, course, okay. leaving in a, a inheritance of knowledge would be a good thing too. Okay. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. Thank okay. you, Jill. Thank you so much. Uh huh. All right. Bye. And so, sure enough. This compromise on adulterous marriages 
in the United Methodist Church led to this, what's going on now, the compromise on gay marriage. Got some questions. So if you're a member of a United Methodist Church, would you leave the congregation if they would not disaffiliate with the United Methodist denomination because they're moving in the direction of accepting gay marriage? Romans 1, 26 and 27. Assuming you would leave, what would you do if they were moving in the direction of accepting polygamous marriages? 1 Corinthians 7, 2. What if they were moving in the direction of people just living together without marriage being okay? Which violates 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 in, in chapter 7, verse 2. Would you leave then? Would you leave if they're starting to accept gay marriages, polygamous marriages, people living together without being married? Would you leave under those circumstances? A United Methodist Church or any other church? So here's the last question, and this is why I bring it up. What if they had already moved in the direction of accepting adulterous marriages? as defined by texts like Matthew 19.9. Would you leave then? Why leave if they're accepting gay marriages or polygamous marriages or just shacking up if they're accepting all that? Why would you leave in that case but not leave because they've accepted adulterous marriages for the last several decades? Again, Matthew 19.9 says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. That's what we're talking about. If you divorce for any reason other than fornication and remarry, you commit adultery. Mark 6, 17 and 18. For Herod himself had laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Now this is during the Old Testament law times, but here we have Herodias, Herod in an unscriptural marriage, according to God's law at that time, John the Baptist challenges them and says to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. Do we have any preachers today that would have that courage? Here's a man and a woman that are divorced and they get married in violation of Matthew 19, 9. They're committing adultery. How many preachers out there would challenge them and say, it's not lawful for you to have her? Meaning, what churches out there are going to say, we won't accept you as a member here unless you terminate that adulterous marriage? Not too many. Not too many. Romans 7, 2 and 3. For the woman which hath an husband is bound or obligated by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. If a woman leaves her husband, say it's on account of incompatibility, and she marries another man, she's going to be an adulteress as long as that first husband is alive, is what's the saying. This tells us the reason for Matthew 19.9. Matthew 19.9 states the facts of the case. Divorce, unless it's for fornication, remarries adultery. Romans 7 tells us the reason. It's because you're still obligated or bound to that original spouse. But almost all churches, and the United Methodist Church is who we're talking about tonight, have been accepting these adulterous marriages, marriages in violation that violate Matthew 19.9 for decades. It's not just the United Methodist Church. Many other churches have done the same thing, about 95% of them. Here's a quote from a liberal in, in California Here's what he said. He says, it's Anthony Dunavant said, many other churches have made the same compromise on divorce and remarriage uh, uh, as the Methodist church. Here's his quote. Some conservative groups believe that divorced people who marry another spouse are living in sin. However, the number of divorces in the United States has led most denominations away from that teaching. 
what he's saying is almost, it's true. Almost all churches used to oppose these adulterous marriages, but they got away from it because the number of divorces, the frequency of divorce went up. And so they quit standing for the truth on these adulterous marriages, marriages that violate Matthew 19, 9. Why are churches compromising? Well, consider a couple in a second or third marriage comes to a community and are thinking about joining up with a church. Do you think that couple is going to join up with a congregation who says, well, to be a member here, you got to terminate your marriage? They say to them what John the Baptist says in Matthew 14, 4, it is not lawful for you to have her. You have to get out of this second marriage in order to be a member here? Or do you think they're going to join up with a congregation that says, oh, you're okay like you are. You can stay in the marriage. Well, certainly, of course, they're going to choose the congregation that is compromised and is going to allow them to stay in this adulterous marriage. That's why 95% of the churches and preachers out here have compromised on this issue, adulterous marriage. If you want a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, call me or text me at 256 682 9753. 